0: Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. If you're new, thanks for checking out a service. Happy Mother's Day! Can I just give the moms a round of applause? Can you like join me in that? They're amazing! Today we want to honor all the moms in the room. Whether you're a great-grandmother or grandma or mom or you want to be a mom and you're waiting on God's timing, we want you to know that the world wouldn't function without people like you. Like, literally, no one would be birthed nor disciplined. So thanks for your willingness to, to bring children into this world. You, a mom, you have some weird quirks, right? Like, some moms do stuff like this. Like, they're, like, sitting on the lawn with their cat, having a conversation. Some moms do this. Like they're just like always caring, always bringing the, 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 the stuff you need when you're sick, even when you're 30 or 33. Um, some moms do this, they, they're still not totally tech literate, so they use scanners and things like that to like save stuff. Or this one, um, your great aunt just passed away, LOL, lots of laughs, really? Still not totally in the lingo. But we love you moms, you're amazing, and I pray Psalm 115, 14 to 15 on you. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We have a special gift for you, I don't know if you saw it, but it's a photo booth set up like out in the foyer. Um, You can get a picture, there's a photographer there, and we are getting professional 5x7 prints for you, so that you can pick up next week here. Uh, Plus... I have a few buff dudes that are going to be out there, probably myself included, <laughs> to make sure you, your spouse and your kids who showed up to church with you get a picture with you. We're going to make sure they get in that picture booth with you. So uh, for real though, if you came with mom or if you're just visiting with mom today um, and you chose to come to church, awesome, we're excited for you, just finish strong, getting that picture too. <laughs> this week. We're continuing a a series that we're calling Minor Prophets, Major Messages. And throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, there are a number of short books that cover the teachings and messages of prophets or messengers of God. And there are four who are seen as major, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They're major because they're majorly long, literally. They're just really long. There's a lot of content, which means longer sermons, and no one wants that. But then there are another 12 in the Bible who have significantly less content. They're minor prophets. Last week we covered Jonah, and it only had 48 verses in it, right, through the whole book. Each of these prophets, though, that we're kind of looking at throughout this series, they have short messages, but rarely are they short and sweet They're usually these hard-hitting messages meant to move God's people emotionally or instruct them to change or fix or do something to handle what's going on. These prophets and books are probably less known to a lot of you, but they had these major messages that impacted people in their time. And these messages can be ones that can also impact your life today. And this week's prophet calls out people in their disobedience. He calls us out on our bad habits and wrongdoings. Yay, right? Not really. <laughs> Although I state that and it's not fun to hear, is it legit? Is it legit for you? Are, are any of you disobedient or have bad habits or consistent wrongdoings and maybe just pretend to kind of be good or pretend to kind of have it figured out? The prophet we're looking at today, he calls us out on our disobedience, wrongs, and our pretending at times, and he shows us what God desires for us. But even though this prophet wasn't personally like that disobedient of a person, God wanted him to feel the pain, feel the pain and the hurt that God feels when we wrong him. As I was thinking about this, you want to know who else is really good at calling us out on our disobedience, our bad habits, our wrongdoings? but also has to live with our mistakes and many times experience the consequences for it even though they did nothing to deserve it, moms. (laughs) moms. <laughs> moms, right? I'm going to take the liberty and say on behalf of all the sons and daughters in the room right now, primarily sons uh, of this church, sorry to all the moms in the room. I mean, this is some of the stuff moms had to deal with, right? You have to put up with stuff like this, like messy house. You, you clean the house and it's not even your own doing, but you got to clean it again. Or this one, like you gave the kids the keys and they crashed the car and not just crash the car, but hit your garage. Or, or this one, like you made the food, now you got to clean up the mess. That's no fun. Or this one, like when your kids, you taught them how to talk, they're telling you a story, and it just won't end, right? Like you're paying the consequences for that. Or you gave your kid your phone, like you're just trying to pass the time, and they ordered 23 burgers accidentally somehow, right? Like moms, you, you pay the consequence even though you didn't do anything. Moms put up with a lot, Yet a good mom, even in our disobedience, our bad habits, our wrong choices, at the end of the day, still loves us and wants what's best for us. There just sometimes needs to be correction or discipline or consequences or punishment to move forward from experiencing more of these types of things for their children. No, I don't think anyone enjoys discipline or likes discipline, nor even enjoys talking about discipline, but it's needed to help someone steer where they are headed. Proverbs 13, 24, it says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I have this... uh, I have two daughters. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. But my wife and I are at the stage where we're trying to figure out, like, we got to discipline now. This is not fun. We're figuring out discipline. And we recently had this situation that's, it's comical now, but I was kicking myself as a dad in the moment. Um, I overheard my wife. She was telling my daughter that she needs to pick up a dish towel from the floor and set it on the table. And sure enough, my daughter, she tests the limits. You do it, is what she says to my wife, Sydney. My head was on a swivel, and I, like, swing to see what's going on. And both Sydney and I, we speak up, and Sydney's calmer than me. Um, nope, that's something you need to do, Eliza. And I, on the other hand, was trying to be, like, this rescuer, or, like, to my wife, coming across as, like, this good dad, this good husband. And I was a bit more serious. Eliza, that's your job. You, that's your job, expecting her to listen and being like, good job, Aaron. Like, I wanted my wife to be all uh, proud. And then Eliza and I lock eyes. It's a staring contest, and I need the blink, but I need the win, too, right? But she just walks away afterwards, and I'm feeling all tough, like, Eliza, get over here and pick this up, and she kind of just ignores me. Sydney's doing the same thing, and she's ignoring us, and now it's like, stink, stink. Why did I even get myself in this battle? This isn't even my fight. I was on the couch. This is between Sydney and her. This is not my battle, and literally putting this dish towel on the table takes one second, but now we have to win, right? Eliza, clean it up. No response. Sydney and I are like, what are we going to do? What are, you know, like we're like making eye contact, hands are waving, what do we do? And finally we re- agree, it's a timeout, like that, that's going to work. And we threaten her with that. And, and sure enough, Eliza gets in her timeout space, happy. She's happy. Now I'm kicking myself again. Sydney and I are both screaming like, what do we do? This is not good. Like, if you're the... By the way, if you're a kid in the room right now, just know discipline is not fun for your parents. It is not fun. It's not fun at all. But Sydney and I are in unity that we cannot lose this battle. So after the timeout, we go back to the rag with Eliza, ask her to pick it up. Still nothing. Like, seriously, child, just get the hint. It takes a second. So it ends with me helping her. Eliza, we're grabbing this together and we're setting it on the table. And then it's all good, it's all happy. We moved on. Now, I get that might have been like a parent no-no, but we had to win. We had to win. Did I like doing all the discipline or little things in between? No. Did it have to happen? Absolutely. If Eliza didn't have consequences or follow-through, she never would have learned our standard, the respect we're looking for, the habit that is desired, and would just tell us no whenever she wants. The same is with God. We can't just keep disobeying him and his standard with no discipline. We will never learn his desires. And this is what we get a glimpse of with God in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a a messenger of God to both call out our disobedience, but also a prophet who lived with it. As in, he experienced it in his own life, being a victim of disobedience in a similar, similar way that God experiences it from us. Now, I want to give you a little bit, like a two-minute, literally just two minutes, little extra content about Hosea before we dive in. And it's a bit denser, um, but it's for my Bible nerds in the room. So if you're a Bible nerd, this is the time you probably love. If you're not a Bible nerd... I give you the blessing to take a little two-minute nap right now. All right, so here we go. Hosea's name means salvation. And back then, names and what you were called mattered. So Hosea has something to do with our understanding of salvation. The time Hosea comes, he's this prophet speaking to God's people, and they are actually a divided nation. It was once Israel, but now they're a divided nation. Israel on top, and then Judah, they've split to be two nations. um, And they were split by King Solomon's sons, now, um, throughout Scripture, we get different prophets, actually, that are part of these different nations that are divided of God's people. So, like, Joel is on some, or Obadiah is on Judah, and then you also have, like, uh, different people, Elisha on the, or Amos on, on the other side. So it's like they're split. These, these nations are split. So we get prophets from different sides at times. And when you have a split nation... It's important to know because when you have something that's split, things don't go well, right? It's like getting a half a cookie. It's just not complete. It's like not getting a full foot long. It's getting a half a sub at Subway. You're not full. You're not complete. So as a divided nation, they're weak, they're violent, and they start to divert from their foundation in God. And amidst their inner turmoil of these people— the Assyrian Empire has overtaken them and their kings countless times, over and over. So God's people, they're, they're reaching out and trying to trust in anything new to save them so they can fight back and protect themselves. But they refuse to fully devote themselves to God. Because they've kind of embodied the statement, been there, tried that. And they've given up on fully devoting to God's ways. Have you done something like that before? Like felt that maybe, like been there, done that with God. Well, they pursue all these other things, all these other gods out there, and they try to do like what other nations are doing and that they're seeing succeed, such as focus on military or or picking their own kings the way they want. But they still kind of keep one foot in with God. Like, yeah, we kind of trust you, still God. But they're doing all these other things against God. And they're seeing God as just one amongst the rest. Again, have you been there with God? Maybe not fully devoted to him, but kind of having him be one amongst the rest. So the book of Hosea comes in, and Hosea and his 25 years of messages is what this book is. Uh, It's him telling of God's judgment coming to them for their disobedience and for faking to fully worship God. He's encouraging them to return to God. He tells them that their destruction destruction is going to come to them because of their actions. Yet with all this said, he still gives them hope that God still loves them which is big because shortly after Hosea's message is delivered it comes true destruction comes to these people and they get overtaken Hosea it's a bit of a longer minor prophet but chapters 4 to 11 basically are him calling out God's people for their wrongs and announcing judgment but the first 3 chapters what we're going to focus on is where things get really interesting and and what it teaches us is about God's character and expectations which is necessary for us to understand in order to understand how the consequences and judgments of the future chapters are ultimately love and discipline. All right, so that's my Bible nerd out. It's over. This is where you need to wake up again if you're daydreaming for a second there. Because now we're getting into the meat of Hosea, of understanding Hosea. But before we do, I just want to ask the question, who in the room here is into chick flicks? I know, it's kind of a random. How about the moms? Which moms are in the chick flicks? What wives are in the chick flicks? What women? You know where this is going, right? Which dads are in the chick flicks? Men? Husbands? All right, actually, for the the men in the room, let's do it this way. Who's a dad or husband in here who doesn't like chick flicks? oh, <laughs> you don't want to participate, or you, you do, actually. I don't know what it is for you. I honestly, I honestly don't mind them, but they're kind of all the same to me. I mean, like, they all have kind of, like, the same cover, like, it's, like, a guy and a girl, like, and, like, the story of Hosea, and the reason I'm bringing this up is the story of Hosea has actually had influence on a book that was called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers, and then it was made into a movie called Redeeming Love, and it looks like a chick flick, right? Like it looks like a chick flick that came out like a year or two ago. And it's kind of, it has some of the themes or things that run throughout Hosea. Here's a little glance at the trailer um, to give you just a taste of kind of what we're going to talk about.
0: She's something to see, ain't she? There's never been a moment you were forgotten. That's Angel. You are not whole. No one gets within a foot of her for free. I have to meet her. What's your pleasure, mister? I didn't come here for that. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. You're gonna marry me. Take me away from here.
1: Give me the life I deserve. Mm-hmm. I've got too many demons. I don't know how to love. You do not
0: choose the life you have, but you can choose the life you want.
1: If you aren't familiar with Hosea, you must be like, where is this going, right? You shall see, because how Hosea starts is this. It says, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. Yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> like, if you've, if you've never read Hosea, get ready for more of this. It says, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to God. So Hosea is this messenger who God wants to communicate to, others through, but he also wants to have his messenger Hosea feel it feel it, like feel what it's like to be betrayed by your people or experience unfaithfulness like God has. So God tells Hosea to go marry a promiscuous woman. Other translations use like prostitution or even less flattering words. But essentially what that means is, here, check out this definition. There's a second line here that I think describes it well. A person who misuses their talents or who sacrifices their self-respect for the sake of personal or financial gain. That description fit? In any of your areas of life. Because it was described this way to tell God's people that that's kind of how they're treating him. That's how they're treating God. And Hosea is not to just tell the people of God that they're acting like that, but actually experience it himself. As you think about that, is there a difference between hearing something and experiencing something to you? Absolutely, right? There is a huge difference. Your perspective changes when you experience it. Like, in a situation of unfaithfulness for both the doer and the victim, it's so easy to be, like, kind of judge and be like, move on, get a new spouse, leave, or for the adulterer, it's, it's easy to, like, after they've sought forgiveness and, and kind of, like, let it go, it's to be like, let it go, for, forgive yourself, you're, you're moving on, like, we all make mistakes. It's so easy to call those things out, but until you've actually gone through it personally, you don't really feel or understand the hooks of reoccurring temptation and the devastating pain. So God tells Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman, and Hosea is a man of God, like a messenger who kept God's commandments for years since a kid, whose life is revolved around God and he's now to go and find a woman to marry who is naughty, right? Like find and marry a woman who's in the red light district and he does. It says in verse 3, so he married Gomer, son of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, "Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel." He marries Gomer he has a kid, and you can see that God wants to communicate. He is angry. So he says, Call your son Jezreel, because I am putting an end to the kingdom that is happening in Israel. Yikes, right? They then have two more children, and God does the same thing with their names. But then this chapter ends by saying this. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So it's saying, I'm angry, is what God's saying. I'm angry about the division, but one day I will bring these two nations back together. The next chapter then describes how God's people have then been like a prostitute. Uh, In this chapter, I see God kind of go through four main emotions. He goes from anger, sad, patient, to rescuer. Now, it starts with anger, and he kind of like lays it on on God's people or us. He says this, but now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposed her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was once the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst as, as in a dry and barren wilderness. God is saying, tell them to stop sinning. Tell them to stop wearing and going after wrong. Stop playing with what you know is not my ways. Consequences will come. It gets a bit more intense. It even says, Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. God is telling them, No one has forced you into this. You've fallen to temptation, and you've pursued this life by choice. This is God's anger. But then it transitions to sadness. He says, For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall. I will make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. This is God showing he's trying to slow us from pursuing things that aren't right for us, to protect us. Have you felt that before from God? Maybe for some reason like you had an opportunity come your way, but it was just so hard to execute. You just couldn't get yourself to do it. Or you went to this website, but you had to re-input your password, and it's just this barrier. Or you forgot that thing on the way to that person's house that you know you shouldn't be at, and so you have to kind of go back. Or you're second-guessing your actions before you do this one thing that you know is wrong. I know I've experienced stuff like this before. But even after this, it then says, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I, gave her, I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. God is sad here again. He's saying, I've given you everything you need, and still you give my gifts to Baal or other false gods. You don't acknowledge me, and now this is where God turns to patience. And he essentially says, You do you. You do you. If you want to leave, it's your free will. You can be on your own, but you're on your own. And he removes his gifts and his blessings. He says things like this, but now I will take back. I will strip her. I will put an end to her annual festivals. I will destroy. I will punish. God is showing you can't just keep living in sin and pretend you are with me and receive my blessings. You can't just pretend that everything is right between you and I. There are consequences for wrong. And and this is the removal of God's blessings. Do you feel you've experienced that before? Then God doesn't wait there long. He turns into rescuer. He says, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. God is like, I can't leave you there long with the removal of blessings. I will chase you down. I love you too much. So this is the chapter of two of Hosea and it's like this brutal picture of God's people, right? Now I wanna pause there for a second and ask you, does this describe maybe any part of your life? Do you know where you are at in your own cycle of some of those things with God? Which brings us to chapter 3, our last chapter. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Remember, Hosea was a prophet that was meant to be one who not only communicates the message, but experiences it. In which all of what we just heard in chapter 2, The abusing the blessings, the unfaithfulness, the neglect towards love and care. This is what Hosea experienced himself. God provided what a faithful spouse is to provide uh, for us. Hosea provided this as well to his wife, but he experienced an unfaithful wife. Have you seen her? Who? Gomer, my wife? No. uh, Is everything all right? Does she have food and shelter? Did she get hurt or taken?
0: Yeah, i provided provide her all of that, yet she took it with her. She chose to leave.
1: Well, like, where'd she go? Like, why'd she leave?
0: Well, she went off with another man.
1: I'm so sorry, man.
0: Yeah, this isn't the first time.
1: So, seriously? Like, so, like, she's broken her marriage covenant with you, like, multiple times? Like, What are you going to do? Like, are you going to leave her? You're, You're justified to do so.
0: That's just not how it works for me. I love her. I'm committed to her forever. She's my wife, and I'm her husband.
1: That's honorable.
0: Well, I've chased her down before. I've rescued her from many bad situations with others. I've provided a life I think every woman deserves, no matter what they've done. And yet she still left. So now she's been on her own. And I'm sure she's experienced the worst time with the makeup and outfit she left um, with. But I can't wait any longer. I must find her and bring her home and must keep moving.
1: I mean, best, best of luck to you. Thank you. I will live her that. I will pay her that. And I will her free to choose to be with me again. We see and we can read about how God's people are like a prostitute. Hosea didn't just declare it, he experienced it and he felt it uh, with his wife being that way as well. Yet even after being cheated on, he represents how God is towards his people. It says in chapter three, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. You see, Hosea was this man who represented God. Hosea had an unfaithful wife who left him multiple times. Some commentators even state that of his three children, two weren't his. Yet in all this, Hosea still loves, chases, and pursues his unfaithful, undeserving wife. And this is to represent God. That God in our unfaithfulness still pursues us, desires us, and loves us have you accepted that? This is, the Hosea, this is the story of Hosea. And if you've never heard it before or embraced this type of message from God, I think the most important thing you can do in response to hearing Hosea's message is accept God's love. Whether you are a literal prostitute today, I want you to know God loves you. Maybe you've been an adulterer or are in the process of it right now. Maybe you've done wrong. Maybe you feel unlovable. Maybe you feel like you deserve nothing. Maybe you you feel like a hot mess. God still loves you. Hosea's message to you is God still loves you. Even the countless uh, acts of adulteress or rebellion that sting, sting to the core of your memories or to the core of those you've wronged, you can still be redeemed. I mentioned in the beginning, Hosea's name is salvation, right? It means salvation. Gomer, his wife, a seemingly unfortunate name for a woman, means complete. Hosea and Gomer is salvation complete. As in salvation can be complete. Between you, a messed up person, and God, a faithful person. Hosea 3.1 is meant to show that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Today, we don't really turn to other gods per se. And you might not be a prostitute, but we act like it. We give our lives uh, to gods of money, to the gods of power, to the gods of sex or pleasure or even fun or or even kindness or happiness. Those gods we chase. Many of these things in the right context can be fine, but we chase them and are unfaithful to God's ways to chase more of them. And even in our choosing to do so, God still loves you. The consequence of our wrongs from this continuous choosing against God's ways leads to death. It leads to separation from a perfect God. But the story of God is that he takes the consequences of death. He gives himself up on a a cross to die as someone who never made a mistake. And this allows him to take our place and give us a redeemed, forgiven status. And then we can one day live free from sin, free from our mistakes with him forever. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord if you want forgiveness the free gift of eternal life or direction on how you can live the way you were created to and meant to live accept God's love you can do that right now. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer or anything of that sort, but it's, it's you saying to God in your heart and your head something, something like this, I've done wrong, but I believe Jesus' death paid for the consequences of my wrongs. Because of his sacrifice, I can be made right and experience the blessings of God's direction today and be with God one day for eternity. Say that in your head or your heart or something like that, and you're a Christian. You're accepting God's love. The second thing I think that we can learn from Hosea is we need to check yourself. You need to check yourself. When I say check yourself, I think of hand check. Hand check is what comes to mind as in basketball. Like, have you seen like in basketball? Hand checking. You know, the rule that allowed grown men to throw hands on each other legally. (laughs) Now, I know how that sounds, but what I meant by that is allowing defenders to put their hands on the other player on the perimeter. So the question is, it was something you did to keep your opponent away, right? Um, it's checking to make sure that whatever you're protecting or trying to, uh, uh, trying to that's coming at you, trying to make sure it doesn't, you don't allow it to infiltrate. It, it's where you want it to be. You're keeping it where you want it to be. It's illegal now, right? Yes, no, my basketball lovers, you can correct me later. It's legal now. It's kind of changed the game. Uh, but when I said hand check, maybe some of you thought something else. Like the saying, I knew all too well for moms, as like a warning, hand check, and the hands go up. Maybe that's what you were thinking, which is fine, because it also relates. Hand checks in both of these situations are meant to be a moment where you literally check yourself and see, am I living in obedience? Am I living in an honorable way? Am I checking over what's happening in my life? And how you can do that is reflect and check over your life, as in check and see, Are you experiencing maybe the removal of God's blessings? Check and see. Like, do the things that you felt so blessed for in the past seem to be removed? Are you experiencing a thorn bush, maybe holding you back from this thing that you are chasing? Why? Is it maybe God's trying to slow you or stop you? Are you not listening to what others are maybe saying or warning you about that you should change? All these things are things we should check ourselves for. Maybe the statement of hand check is silly to you, but maybe, maybe it's a very real check right now. Like maybe it's needed today, like at work or with the neighbor or with that person you've gotten close to and probably shouldn't. Check yourself because when we are sinning or making mistakes, there are consequences. I know this isn't a message that anyone likes to hear nor preach, but when you go against God's ways, He does remove his blessings. There are consequences. In Hosea, we see God provided things for his people. And when they got off and abused those things for evil or in ways that were inappropriate, we see God responds with consequences. And the idea of a God who gives consequences, no one likes. No one likes that. But like a parent who doesn't ever teach their child to avoid, or do, or say, or not say, or behave, or care, or manage, or help, or treat, or not treat, or accept, or not accept certain things. If a parent doesn't teach those things, your child will not learn. And by not disciplining your child to learn these things, they will never understand why they are continuously broke, disliked, don't receive support, always seem to go through hardships or always losing parents discipline their children because they love them and want to set them up to win god does the same hebrews 12:5 it says 5 through 6 it says and have you forgotten the encouraging words god spoke to you as his children he said my child don't make light of the lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child check yourself. Are you experiencing a natural consequence, a warning, a discipline because of something you are doing that is not of God? Analyze your life. Are you experiencing a hardship in an area that someone like you shouldn't or you haven't with in the past? Ask someone you respect, is there any unrepentant way in your life right now that is not of God that they're seeing you do? Because you might be being disciplined or experiencing the removal of God's blessing. And the reason is, is because God loves you. One disclaimer on this, just because you're going through a rough time or got bad news or something bad happened, it doesn't mean God is punishing you. We live in a world that has sin and there are consequences, whether they're your own, whether they're of others doing, whether they're generational, or just being in a world that's messed up. So if you've lost a child or got bad news or someone cheated on you or you lost your job or you're waiting desperately on something, don't automatically assume it's God's discipline, but check yourself. The last thing Hosea shows us is he is of the character of God. And if he is of the character of God or Jesus, we are to be like Hosea, willing to love and forgive and forgive. If God's love is flowing through you, you should be becoming more like Hosea, not less. If I'm honest, I don't know if I could be Hosea. Actually, I know I couldn't do it. I know I couldn't be Hosea. I know I couldn't do it. Like, I love Sydney, my wife, more than anything. But if she cheated on me, I don't know. I I guess I I hope I could forgive in that moment. I want to say I could right now that I could forgive her. But you never know until you're there. But then if she cheated again... And again, and again, and also took all the blessings that I've added to our relationship for her and acted like she got them from other men, yikes, that just horrifies me. I love her so much to death, and I want to be able to forgive her and be like Hosea, but to be like Hosea is hard. To be cheated on, backstabbed, hurt, abused, neglected, over and over again, and still forgive, not only that, but love. It's the character of God, and I want to be of God's ways. But when I think about being like Hosea or being like God, I got work to do. I got work to do. How about you? As I'm wrapping up, the reason I chose Hosea to be the prophet I covered on Mother's Day is I think the closest human example I see of Hosea is moms. Moms, you take slaps, bruises, beatings harshness, and all the nasty things from your kids, tantrum after tantrum, dirty shirt after dirty shirt. Like, when can you start wearing white again? I just want to know, like, when can I start wearing white and not worry about, like, a stain? I'm still figuring that one out. You can let me know later. But all jokes aside, moms, you have a Hosea heart, one that loves, one that disciplines, and in times of kids being disobedient, you chase after your kids because you are desperate to be with them that's a mom that's Hosea and that's Jesus for all of us who do you need to start having the heart of God like that towards as I wrap up we see that Hosea we are to accept God's love check yourself and be like Hosea at the end of Hosea The author kind of steps out of the writing of Hosea. It's like stepping away from the book, and he gives this, this message to the readers. He says this, Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. I pray that you are wise and you pursue the path of the Lord. We want to help you do that every week you're here. So I hope you come again. If you're just visiting, I hope you visit again because we want to help you on this journey with God. Would you pray with me as I close this? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just showing us how much you love us, that even in our mess-ups, even in our mistakes, our sin, you still pursue us, you still love us, you still chase after us. So God, I just pray that that's something we can acknowledge And then, God, I just pray that we continue to be more like Hosea. God, help us be like Hosea, someone that's ready to forgive, that's like you. So, God, help us do that this week. And, God, I just pray for the moms in the room. I pray that you continue to to reach them and care for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.